Well, I'm glad you chose to come in today, and I see that you both are looking very eager, so why don't we begin? When couples come to see a marriage counselor, they gain a new perspective. And so, I would like to ask you the all-important question, where do you want God's help to change your marriage? I want God to change her. I want God to change him. So, you both want to change? No, no, I want her to change. You can't even change the baby's diaper. Why would you change? I'm sensing something must have occurred recently for you both to feel a little hostile towards each other. Hostile? I'm not hostile. No, she's not hostile. She's testy, she's moody, she's vengeful, but she's not hostile. Do you think we're going to get very far by pointing fingers at each other? No. No. It's her. No, Walt, Jean, it's not easy to admit that you both have a problem. And I want you to know that you've done the right thing by seeking the biblical path. Now, in order to help you, I need to understand what happened. So, Jean, if you'd like to begin and tell me exactly what happened in your own words. Gladly. <clears throat> well, dear, is that you? Yeah, it's me, Jean. Who else would it be? Well, I'm so glad you returned home to your castle, dear. Now, if you could just do me a favor and watch the baby while I finish up dinner, I've got frozen pizzas again. We still have this baby? I don't like babies. <laughs> dear, now if you could just change her diaper just this once, please. I don't like kids. I didn't even like me as a kid. I, this dad, I, this dad thing, I'm, I'm, I didn't want to do it. I, I never will. Yeah. That stinker Mr. Anderson made us stay late at work again, and I know how much you like dinner on time, so I just got something really quick. Well, <laughs> gee, I hope it's frozen pizzas, because I love them. Hey, if you're not going to cook me a decent meal, hon, at least fill me up, because I am starving. And where's my slippers? And where's my robe? And the mail, where's the mail at? Oh, dear, it's on the end table. Oh, huh. I guess it is. Bills, bills, <laughs> bills. What's that, dear? I said, you need to work more hours so we can pay for all the stuff you keep buying. Well, dinner's going to be ready in three itsy-bitsy little minutes. It's about time. Now, it wasn't so bad changing her diaper, now was it? Well, she's not complaining, is she? No, dear. Now, tell me about your day. My day? Yeah. How's work going? Oh, that reminds me. <clears throat> dear, who are you calling? It's none of your business, Jean. I got work to do. Dear, it's so impolite not to answer a question when it's being asked. Look, Jean, take the hint. Beat it, and take that kid with you. Dear, you need to use these few minutes 
to refresh when you get home from work. Wouldn't you agree? No, Jean, I'm not agreeing. I'm so not agreeing. Dear, honey, you just need to loosen up a little. Relax. Would you stop hanging on me? Hanging on you? I need my space. Honey, I just want to chat and, you know, do husband and wife things. Uh, Jean, you got a problem. Me? I see. Very interesting. Mm. That's, that's, I no. don't remember it that way. Would you like to tell it your way, Walt? I think I would, yeah. Okay, if you think she missed some details, go ahead and tell me how it happened from your perspective. <clears throat> is that you, Walt? It sure is, hon. Well, I'm home from work. Well, it's about time. Jeez, where you been all day? Oh, just working hard for the family. Here, take <laughs> oh, the kid. Oh, okay. <laughs> I gotta make dinner for my king. Oh, hey, honey, I know you work really hard, and I appreciate all you do. Uh, but I, can't, I just need just a couple minutes just to refresh. Forget it. Change your diaper. I'm so sick and tired of doing the dirty work around here while you sit on your throne. Okay, Jeez. well, a father's work is never done, is it? <laughs> Oh, I think you got a clean diaper. That yeah. jerk, Mr. Anderson, made us stay late again, so don't oh. complain about dinner. You know I never complain about dinner. I am happy with anything I get because I just, I just, I'm just glad you made me something. <laughs> hey, and uh, have you seen the mail, dear? It's on the table, genius. Oh, so it is. <laughs> Thanks, hon. Uh, bills, bills. Bills. <laughs> What'd you say? Oh, I just said, um, what did the mother duckling say when her babies hatched? Bills, bills, bills. <laughs> uh, did you get it? You got it, didn't you? Listen, dinner's going to be ready and count them three minutes. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. You didn't even change her diaper? I honey, gave you one job. No, no, no honey, she, I don't think she needs a diaper change. She's happy, see? <sighs> yeah, 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 whatever. Listen. It's time for your daily report, okay? I need to know what you did, why you did it, and how you felt about it. It's time to fess up, Walt. Uh, my day? Yeah, tell me all about your fears and your failures. Oh, that actually reminds me. <laughs> Listen, buddy. I said it's time for your daily report. Or are you afraid I'm gonna find something out? No, no, dear. We, listen, we have the rest of the night together. I just got to make a few calls. I, I didn't get a chance to do them at work. I just need a, a few minutes. Yeah, and these minutes are going to be mine, mine, mine. <laughs> now, Jean. Walt, you need to quit your job. It's so consuming. Jean, do you think you might be overreacting just a little bit? You have such a problem. Me? Now, Walt and Jean, your problem is a very common one. You have placed the key to your happiness in the wrong pocket. I have a question for you, both of you. Where is the gospel of Jesus Christ in your marriage? Can you thank them? Thank you. Thank you, Boy, I tell you, 
I don't think it will be difficult for us to find our place in God's word today. And it won't be difficult for us to, to bow because you've seen yourself there. And if it's not in marriage, it's in some other relationship. Surely you, there's someone in your life right now that you're not treating the way Jesus would. And uh, there's people here that aren't feeling treated the way Jesus would treat them. And uh, the Bible is going to call us in 1 Peter chapter 3 this morning to submit to God in all relationship. In fact, it's gonna, there's going to be a phrase that's very important. It's for the Lord's sake. What's happened today is we've become these Christian pragmatists. We do stuff as long as we get stuff. Uh, we scratch backs. We become quid pro quoers. And, and uh, we hold back and demand. And then once we get what we demand, then we give a little. And it reveals that we have an unsubmitted heart to God. We want what we want. And so we do what we must to get what we want. Now, I'm going to be the first one here this morning to admit to you that I fall very short in my role of husband. In fact, it's been a convicting week. I've done some repenting. I've uh, probably even been moody about it. It's just hard to preach a passage like this one. Um, I haven't always been mindful of my wife, and and nor have I done those specific things that truly would minister to her and would be the glorious gospel to her. I haven't, and that's very convicting when you're in the pulpit and you're preaching a passage like this one. And I'm, I'm sure that there's someone else here that struggles just as much or even more in this area than I do. And if you're that person, if you could just stand up right now, it'd make me just feel better. Could you stand? No, I'm just kidding. But, but really, I think we all struggle in this area. And so what we've got to do this morning is we've got to walk through a tension of difficulty of knowing I'm not the way Jesus wants me to be in this area of life. And I want to be what Jesus wants me to be in this area of life. And at the key to all of this is that word again, submit, that we started with last week. Will we submit to God? And so I'm going to ask you to do something that will help you just a little bit to remember today, a little bit um, to press the, the, the subject deeper into our hearts. We're going to pray, but if you can, if you're able to, I'm going to ask you to step out of your pew or in your pew to find a knee, to kneel and take a posture of kneeling this morning, a posture of sub submission as we pray and we seek the Lord. Can you do that? If you're not able to do that, of course, just take that posture in your heart. Let's do that right now. Our Heavenly Father, we come here today to submit to you, to submit to you in all relationships, in marriage, in work, in family, in every way, Heavenly Father, so that the glorious gospel would cultivate love in the hearts of people and people would be drawn to you. Father, we take very seriously the for your sake mentioning in the scripture that our lives are for your sake. They're not for our sakes, not even in our marriages. It's not supposed to be a quid pro quo. We're supposed to be submitted to you. And Father, we all repent now, and we, we ask you to bring repentance to our hearts for the ways in which we have not been the gospel in relationships. And God, would you bring our hearts to a place of full submission to you? Father, we want to follow Jesus into marriage, into family, in our work relationships, in our friendships. We want to follow you into it. Holy Spirit, speak to us now. Help us to hear that word again, submit in our own lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. 
If you'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And as we review, as we review what we've been doing in the last two chapters, we've seen how we are the elect exiles, verse 3 of chapter 1. Belonging to God and obtaining the privileges of salvation, but we're tested in a world that is temporary and is perishing. We have something that's imperishable and everlasting, but yet we're tested in a world that is temporary and perishing. And we're a peculiar people, Peter wants us to understand. We're living stones building the house of God through Jesus who is our cornerstone. We've all got to build our lives on Jesus Christ. And so therefore, let us be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. It's a huge phrase there. And so human institution is, it was going to start with government and with rulers and honoring the king, but now it's going to head even closer. It's going to head to a place where we wake up in the morning and where we go to bed at night. Why? to serve the great call of revealing the gospel. Peter has told us that actually suffering unjustly and submitting to God even in that, in other words, taking the loss so that God can get the win, is actually a unique and very powerful opportunity to reveal the God. If you can love when you're not being loved, if you can love when you're being mistreated, if you can honor when you're being dishonored, that's going to get the attention of a world that really needs to see Jesus. And so when we, when we serve that great call to reveal the gospel, we silence the ignorant talk of foolish men about faith. And we also, in our godly conduct, cause other people to recognize God and praise God. And so we turn the corner, though, now into 1 Peter chapter 3 this morning. And our main idea is this, is that when we are mindful of God's example... When we're mindful of Christ's example to us of sacrificial suffering for our sake... We're compelled to be the gospel to people in powerful ways. I want to remind you, you once were not a people, but you now are a people. You once did not have mercy, but you have now obtained mercy. We've got to approach this dialogue this morning as people who have been mercied. We've got to approach this dialogue as people who were not interested in anything that God wanted while God was interested in what we needed when he gave us the gospel. That's the way that we've got to approach this. As undeserving yet new people to God, instantly changed from locked out of the gospel to locked into a permanent lasting relationship with Almighty God. Saved, born again, our old self taken care of, our new self created in Christ. And so we're going to talk about marriage today. We're going to talk a lot about interpersonal relationships, and the context of this passage remains the same. These are scattered, persecuted, pressed Christians in Asia Minor, and there's pressure in their culture, and, and it's hard, especially if you're a, a Christian family, and because you don't belong to this guild, or you economically are being mistreated because you're not a pagan like everybody else in this community, and you're on the, the basic level, you're, 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 you're the dishwasher in the restaurant, you're the poop scooper in the horse stables, you're at the lowest level of the economy, and don't have a chance to climb anymore, just because you're peculiarly attached to Jesus Christ. And one of the things that happened, surely happened, is because the Roman world severely oppressed women in its pagan culture, that when they found out that Jesus sets us free, that there's liberty in Christ, that there's equality before God, there is neither Jew nor slave, there is neither male nor female, there's neither Greek 
uh, or Scythian. They're all the same under God. We're all equally loved and equally favored by God's grace. That's very liberating to a woman. And yet, in that culture, women were greatly, greatly oppressed. And can you imagine there being a woman who became a follower of Jesus Christ and her husband still compelled because he knew he'd lose his job if he didn't follow Jesus. He knew he'd lose his status if he didn't follow Jesus. He knew that he would feel even more of a failure if he took the lowest rung of society. And so he had rejected the Word of God. He had not come to Christ. And here's this woman, this wife. And she's trying to display the gospel. She's, she's trying to live in the liberty that God has given her by His grace. And yet she's got to submit to maybe an unruled and unruly husband. We live in a day today where everybody's holding out, right? We demand our rights and, and we perform when we think that we'll get the proper win, we'll get the gain, we'll get the profit from our performance. And, and you saw that a lot in that little drama that you witnessed this morning, didn't you? Both sides demanding a lot, both sides not really admitting much. And hardship and suffering and the pressure of life, you know what it can do? It can turn us into demanders. It can turn us into demanders. It can turn us into people that see the flaws in others more than we can see the need to be Jesus in us. And the real way to radically change a relationship, though, is to be the gospel to an individual, whether it be my wife or my brother or my sister. Because the gospel was given to us that we might live it so well that we would cultivate love in our closest relationship, that we would, we would set the stage for the powerful gospel to awaken another's heart to Jesus Christ, for God to reveal himself, because we've cultivated the love that warms the heart to God calling people out of their hang-ups, calling people out of their apathy, out of their pessimism, out of their hardened hearts. The gospel was given to us so that we could be a peculiarly loving people who could sacrifice our own lives, even suffer unjustly for the sake of others, for the sake of the Lord. That's why. And do you have that posture now as a mercy people, as a person who wasn't interested in what God wanted while God was interested in what you needed? That's the posture we've got to take. What do you think of that one question from the counselor? Remember, where's the gospel of Jesus Christ in your relationship? Let's look at the beauty of voluntary submission first in verses 1 through 6. And Peter starts out with the word likewise, likewise. And if he says likewise, that means that there was something already established in the passage. So we reach back all the way to chapter 2 and verse 19 where it says, But if when you do good and suffer it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Actually, the Greek, the way that it reads there, it says this is a thing that finds the grace of God. It finds the favor of God. God likes it. It pleases him. The thing that happens with me more than anything else in regard to submission is I stop wanting to please God as the highest goal of my life. I stop. And when I stop being a God pleaser, I'm not much of a servant. I'm not much of a sacrificer. I'm not much of a sufferer. I'm not willing to do the things that God would call me to do, which would please him. I'm not willing to do that. But it says, likewise, wives. And so we have a particular subject, and it's speaking to you ladies right here. B 
be subject to, it means come under the authority of, your own husband, so that even if, you, if some do not obey the word, there's that context, they have heard the word. They've heard it. They've literally heard the gospel, the word of God spoken to them, and they've rejected it. If some don't obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. And so here's the amazing picture already, is that some people can get preached at, and they will reject the gospel. But some, when they have the gospel lived to them, they suddenly become open to it. So when they see your respectful and pure conduct, that's when they may be one. Verse 3, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. The context there is, is Abraham was not, was not always a godly guy. We call him the father of faith. We call him our brother in faith. All those things he's exalted by, by Paul in Galatians um, and other places. But Abraham was a liar. Abraham was a manipulator. And Sarah still went along with her husband. You say, well, what good is that? Why, why in the world would I... Would I do something like that? Well, we're going to find even in the context, Peter is constantly quoting and referring to the Old Testament. He refers to Abraham, who was a guy who wasn't always godly. And then he's even later on in this passage going to refer to Psalm 34, to David, who was a guy who when he faced Goliath, he said, I don't even need a sword. I come in the strength of the Lord. He had that trust. He had that readiness to face Goliath, just in the strength of the Lord. But by Psalm 34, he is ducking, he is slipping, he is sliding. He, in his own strength, is trying to find a way to escape from Saul, who's pursuing him and trying to kill him. In fact, he puts on this unbelievable show in front of Abimelech just to make that happen. All of us, when we stop trusting God... When we, leave that, when we leave that territory of submission to God, we start to work in our own strength. And Sarah, even when her husband wasn't so godly, she submitted and was a model, obeying Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. If you place your trust in God, even when your husband isn't acting very trustworthy. Sounds bizarre, doesn't it? The Roman rule was oppressive toward women, and women began getting saved and walking in the liberty of Christ, and their faith had them in alliance with Jesus above all. But it became a source of conflict in the marriages where the wife knew the Lord and the husband did not. When you know the truth, you can see when the truth isn't being followed. And so it says there, obey not in verse 1. It, it's describing a rejection of the gospel. These men, some of them, rejected the gospel. What speaks louder than words? Well, ladies, wives, this passage is not about rights. It's not about equality. 
want us to understand that he's going to say that you are joint heirs of God's grace in verse 7 here in just a minute. And so it has nothing to do with a power play or about equality. We are equal in the eyes of God. We are equally valued by God. And yet we are given specific roles by God that would please God, that would promote the gospel of God if we would follow those roles. And so when, when Peter says here, your actions can speak louder than, than words, it's about a role that God wants you to play as that vessel that trusts and follows her husband. And you might be a lady here today that says, but wait a second, I want to have a say. And you do have a say. You have a say with your conduct. Peter's saying, the most winsome thing you can do is without words. It's by your conduct. You say, well, I'm not winning by my conduct. And Peter would fall back and say, oh, I, I thought it was for the Lord's sake. Don't just be a Christian pragmatist and behave in a way to get what you want because God knows that that's not sincere. That's not what God rewards. But do it for the Lord's sake. All this attaches in verses 5 and 6 in describing that godly submission of Sarah, one without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. He's talking about internal beauty there. There's inward adorning that is recognizable and is heart transforming. I tell my sons all the time, they're now 23 and Wesley is 21 today. I tell my sons all the time, you haven't seen pretty until you've seen godly. You haven't seen pretty until you've seen godly. Now, men, men, you've said a lot of times to your wives, you look pretty today, you're so pretty, oh, I like your hair that way, you look good in that dress. Think every, about every once in a while, when you see godly, say, wow, you're godly, and that is so attractive. Wow, you're godly. Godly, that is so pretty to me. Inward adorning, it's recognizable. So what does all of this reveal? What does it all reveal? It reveals that the gospel is attractive and winsome. It's pleasing to God. Can we move up, Dustin, on the, on the slides there? The gospel is attractive and winsome. It is pleasing to God. It has enduring and imperishable beauty, and it transforms the heart. Ladies, the way that you submit to God is the preferred way of presenting the gospel of God. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? The way that you submit to God is the preferred way that you present the gospel of God and the role that God wants you to play. Because it says there that this kind of submission in God's sight is very precious. It's very precious in God's sight. You can hold your rights as precious. But God finds precious your representation of the gospel. God sees the beauty of your submission. And that's going to be tied here in a moment to verses 8 through 12. And then we're going to look at the power. Men, men, you get one verse. And so this is a powerful, powerful verse. It is a very straightforward verse. It's a verse for all you men who don't like to be readers and you just want the straight talk. Well, you're going to get the straight talk right here because it's an all-encompassing sentence. It says... 
Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, look at the back of the verse first. It says, you break up the unity of your marriage. You, you, you have the power. That your prayers may not be hindered. And how does he describe your leadership? He says, honor her by being compassionate toward her as the weaker vessel. God wants you to step in and show strength just like Jesus did when the world in its weakened state of sin. Did you, are you listening? Are you paying attention to the gospel? When the world in its weakened state of sin could not save itself, Jesus stepped in. And Peter here talks about a weaker vessel, not because women are puny, not because women don't matter, not because they aren't valuable, but because they have needs. In the same way that Jesus met your, your need, where you are powerless to do anything about your alienation from God, and yet you got mercied and you became a people of God through Jesus Christ. He says, you step in and you meet that need. You help in that weakness. But then he goes further to say, be understanding, be understanding. Live with your wives in an understanding way. And we have to unpack that just for a second. It means there in the Greek to dwell with them in according to knowledge, in accord with knowledge, to dwell with them in accord with knowledge. It means in a godly marriage, a husband knows his wife. In a godly marriage, a husband knows his wife. And you say, I do know my wife. I know every one of her flaws. Let me list them for you right now. Bing, bing, bing. No. A husband knows his wife. He knows because he got gospeled that she's a person that has needs. Oh, this is convicting, isn't it? That she's a person that has needs and needs that are met by God, and yet you have been placed by God to represent Jesus in doing exactly that. So you got to know her. And so it means you got to dwell with her to know her. you got to listen. you got to create the space. Men, are you spacing and pacing your life in order to know and dwell with your wife? Are you? No, not, not, not the whole take care of things five minutes before you both go off to work and you know, not, not the text message later that says, will you pick up the groceries? But are you helping your wife with her heart so that she can help you with yours? Are you doing that? I told you the story years ago that one time I was sitting in the living room and I was watching television and my wife was saying, look, this, this, and this, I need this, and this, and this. And, and she rolled off several things and stuff like that. And I just kept on staring at the television screen. She stopped, stood in front of me. She goes, now, what did I say? And I rolled off exactly what she said. I just pulled it out of this le left corner of my brain and rolled it all right off to her perfectly. And I grinned at her and she said, that's right, but you still weren't listening. Listen, got to dwell with your spouse. Men, to know my wife, I got to know the scripture as well because the scripture calls me to live the word to her, to wash her with the word. If only one person were to read the word in a household, men, I'd want it to be you because then you could take that word and you could wash with that word. Ephesians 5, 25 and 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing 
of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Men, your wife's beauty rests largely upon how you wash her. Do you help her be holy? Do you help her be without stain? Do you help her walk in that wonderful grace of God? And you say, well, where does this require submission? I'll just tell her what to do. No, it requires slowing. It requires helping your wife receive the Christ that is in you and doing it in a safe and slowed and paced way. Yesterday, we did the amazing race, which was amazing, because we went to like 15 places in three hours, and uh, my team was wonderful. I was with Marty Christopher, and I was with uh, Lisa Aiding, and Marty was the driver, so um, they put a rule right there at the beginning of the rule book that says, you cannot speed at all to any of these places, and I want you to know, when they asked at the end of the race, we all got together, and we partied together, and we ate pizza together, and stuff like that, they asked, what, was there even a single driver that obeyed that rule, and Marty raised his hand, and I said, that's right. That guy did not speed one time. And he turns around, and he says, well, it's kind of hard with the senior pastor sitting in the back seat. (laughs) This last section, then, is going to talk about God being a rewarder. God's a rewarder. Now, all all of life, God's going to judge and he's going to reward both for good and for bad, okay? And God is a rewarder. Are you listening? He is a rewarder. And so what the scripture is saying there is, is there's the day of his visitation that Peter has already talked about, and that day's coming. And that's why we do this for the Lord's sake, because those who really are submitted to God have an awareness of his presence right now. It's on their hearts. They know it. And so they want to please him. And so it requires submission to God, men, to be the man God wants you to be. Godly marriage does not begin when a husband knows what he wants, but when a husband wants what he knows is wanted. Listen again. Godly marriage does not begin when a husband knows what he wants, but when a husband wants what he knows is wanted. That comes from the word, and that comes from listening to his wife. There's a vertical quotient and a horizontal one. It means listening. First listening to God, and then actively listening to your wife. Are you hearing the Word of God? If you're hearing the Word of God, then you're able to live the Word of God and hear your spouse. And how does this reveal the gospel, men? It reveals this, that the gospel's to be treasured, the gospel's to be honored and protected. Why? Because the gospel treasures, it honors, and it protects. That's what Jesus did, the noble warrior Christ, men, that battler for your soul that causes that hunter, that fighter in you to rise up and to realize there's something really godly about being a man. The gospel treasured you. The gospel protected you. The gospel honored you. And the gospel should unite us in God's grace. 
He says there, the unity of gospeling together, what does it reveal? He makes a comment on prayer. Listen, listen to the psalmist in Psalm 66, verse 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. How can two people who will not practice oneness in their marriage expect God to respond to their prayers? He says that your prayers will be hindered. When two agree, they pray together powerfully. When they do not agree, they don't want to unite together with God because they want different things. And how can God answer the prayers of two who cannot submit? How can he treat as one what really is two separate agendas? I mean, personally, I feel sorry for the counselor, right? What's she going to do in this situation? And you say, well, Pastor Clint, uh, my suspicion's confirmed. I might as well not pray with my wife. Wrong. You're lying to yourself and you know it. Get with your wife. I don't care how much tension you have. And grace your wife by going before the Lord for her. When you don't feel like praying for her, pray for her. Women, when you don't feel like praying for him, pray for him. When you don't feel like saying something gracious, pray something gracious. Go before the Lord and submit. How does union come about? When you yield to God. So start by yielding to God. Ephesians 5, 28, 29. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh. Do you want to be prayed for? You want to be loved? I do. Who here doesn't? The scripture says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Husbands, your wife is your own flesh. So the godly couple's life of unity, it makes their prayers powerful, says Gregory Brown on Bible.org. And it does. And finally this, let's just make one statement about the lordship of Jesus Christ found in Christian love there. He says, finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind in verse 8. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. May obtain a blessing. Where's, what is that looking to? It's looking to God, the judge, the rewarder on that day. Remember, it was for the Lord's sake that all these things were there. And why does he put it this way? And why does he quote Psalm 34? We already explained that. Because we've got to trust God even when things don't look like they make sense. Here's the thing. In your marriage, maybe in your workplace, in your family, somewhere you think there is not a godly way out, and there is. Because you can accept pleasing God through your submission to God. There is that way out. You've told yourself, I've tried everything, nothing works, might as well give up on this, might as well give up on my marriage, might as well quit, quit praying with my wife, might as well stop talking about all of our differences and our difficulties. And again, you're deceiving yourself because the Lord says here, an, a blessing will be obtained if you bless if you bless. It may not be now. It may be later. So submission to God in all relationships, submission to God in all relationships cultivates the transforming power of the gospel. An unsubmitted life is a rejection of the gospel. Remember what we, we learned in verse 1? 
if they do not even obey the word, if they reject the word. An unsubmitted life, we've got to remind ourselves, looks like rejection of the gospel. And rejection of the gospel ultimately means separation from God forever. So we, the people of God, what we should be experiencing is the blessing of God by submitting to the gospel that we have received. And we miss that blessing if we don't. And what's part of that blessing? Character, righteousness, something that our children and our children's children are seeing. And so what's our conclusion here this morning? Pastor, come up and lead us. We can endure life as demanding and deserving people. We can. We can, we can just play, play survivor like these couples were doing here a few moments ago and demand performance out of the other. Or we can escape life and escape responsibility. Or we can enjoy how the gospel gives us a peculiar but an amazing way to bless even though we feel cursed. To live for Jesus even under hardship and suffering. Peter said in verse 13 of chapter 1, he said, he said, set your mind fully upon the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Is your mind fully set upon that grace? If there's any one decision that you would want to make here this morning, would it not be 1 Peter 2, 21? God, I want to follow in the steps of Jesus. 1 Peter 2.21, For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And you just simply say this morning, here's the one thing, God, I'm not following in your steps in these areas. Holy Spirit, reveal to me how I can now get back in line with Jesus. God calls us to honor him in all of our relationships, in all of our relationships. Let's pray. Father, submission is just so hard for us because, man, we feel a lot of hurt and we feel a lot of hardship. It's just hard. And so now we give you our lives and we ask you, Heavenly Father, to just grace us here now in just the quietness of this room. Would you grace us again? Father, we know that when we're not even looking out for your interests, you're looking out for ours. And so we know what your Holy Spirit wants in this place. God, fill us with your spirit again. Give us the grace to be gracers. Give us the submission to be sacrificers and servants. Help us to live out Jesus in our roles as husband and wife, and then to live out Jesus in all of our relationships. And Father, where your Holy Spirit right now is saying, do something, I pray that that worshiper would. I pray that it would be an inescapable command that by the end of this day, whatever that person has been called to do, to make something right, to ask for forgiveness, to yield and to submit again, to stop holding a record of wrongs, to stop being a demander, that, Father, we would give, we would yield. We would yield and be united with Jesus and the gospel so that we could be united together. Father, do your work in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for letting me be your pastor.